We're turning to Ephesians 4 today, a very brief hiatus from our covenant series um, that, that can be found in your pew Bibles on a page, the number of which I will give to you in a moment. That's on page 977. Um, Just a a word before we begin on why we're taking this break um, in our summer series, and that is to talk about ministry. That's what we're doing today. We're we're talking about ministry. We want to explore what the Bible says about ministry. Um, Why do we do ministry? We're going to answer that question today. Um, But the reason we're doing this uh, is because our ministries have largely been on hold for the summer, and, and they're going to kick back up into to full gear next week, the week after, um, here mid-September. And so it's important to think about why, why we do this in the first place. Uh, but also we're just acknowledging that, that our church is growing, it's developing, it's changing. And so our approach to ministry is going to look a little different than it might have five, ten uh, years ago. Uh, you know, um, uh, when we were uh, a smaller congregation, if something needed done, somebody did it, and it just kind of happened. But now as we're uh, getting uh, larger, things fall through the cracks. We wonder who's in charge of what and how do things happen. It's part of the reason we're trying to promote uh, you know, the equip ministry is to try to streamline some of that. But that, in one sense, is all logistical. And none of that matters if we don't turn to the Word and, and ask, why do we do ministry at all, period. So that's, that's what today is. Today is not Pastor Cruz's guilt trip for why you haven't signed up for more equipped ministries. And, and I just want to say also, I recognize there are so many ways in which we can serve in this church that aren't listed here. We, we highlighted a few needs. And I know so many of you are doing things um, that are behind the scenes, that aren't, aren't on a form. And, and I thank you for that. And I praise God for that. So that's not what this is about today. This is just getting back to the basics. How does the church work? And why does it matter? Why should you care? So that's why we're looking at Ephesians 4 today. Um, and we're going to unpack it. First, by looking at Paul's, the, the shape of ministry that Paul uh, gives to us. Then we'll think for a few minutes, barriers to ministry, common barriers to doing ministry. And then finally, concluding with um, reasons or desires for doing ministry. Uh, but let's, let's open God's word and read the first 16 verses of Ephesians uh, chapter 4. This is God's word. Paul writes, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, 
for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The grass withers, the flower fades This is the word of our God, and it remains forever. The first thing we're looking at is the shape of ministry, according to Paul. Did you know that this is what we've just read? It is the only inspired church growth manual out there. The only inspired church growth manual. How should the church function? What should ministry look like? Why why should we do it? Who should do it? How does a church grow? It's all here, and it's not written by so-called church growth experts. It's written by the Holy Spirit himself. Uh, And the shape of ministry, what ministry looks like, it all begins, unsurprisingly, with Jesus. The church is one body, and that is namely the body of Christ. Verse 4, there is one body. Colossians 1 Ephesians 5 tells us that the church is the body of Christ. There's one body because there's one Christ. We're constituted as a church by our union to Jesus Christ. We all have his spirit and we all have him. And we see in this text, though, that he's not only the one who who builds the church or constitutes the church. He's also the one who keeps the church together. In other words, he's not a a far-off, kind of hands-off CEO, but he's intimately involved. He's he's, um, carefully overseeing every aspect of his church today. Now, how could he do that, though? He's not here, after all. Uh, Paul makes a point to say he's ascended. He's risen and ascended. But then Paul says, far from undermining or weakening uh, the, the work of the church, Paul roots everything that the church has and the church is in the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. It's a good thing that he's ascended. Why? How is that? Well, look at verses 7 and 8. There Paul references the, the gifts that we've been given. Grace, a word for gift was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then he goes on to say, by saying ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended? Basically, what, what Paul's saying is, you all, it's not just the resurrection and ascension that matters, it's also his incarnation and his death. First, he comes down, and because he came down... Then he can go up, and this is good news for the church. Why? Because in ascending, he gave gifts to the church. And and Paul's quoting Psalm 68, and Psalm 68 is alluding to or or using the imagery of um, an ancient custom 
which was in battle, the one who was victorious would return, the victorious king would return to his citizens, his subjects, in a victory parade. It would look something like this. He would be in a chariot at the front of the parade, and everybody is lined the streets, and they're applauding him, and they're extolling him. Actually, you know, you could see how that would go to somebody's head. And so they would often put a servant, a slave, um, in the chariot, whispering at all times into the ear of this victor, you are just a man. You are just a man. But, but this is the idea, that he's at the front of this parade and everybody's cheering him because he's defeated his enemies. Where are the enemies? They're in the parade too. They're being dragged behind uh, this victorious captain, this conqueror. Um, and also, as they're shackled and, and being dragged behind him, their belongings and their possessions are stacked high in chariots that were drawn in the parade as well. That was the loot or the spoils of victory. And here's the best part of the parade. The king would then take the spoils of victory and he would give it to his people. How about that for a parade? Right? Isn't that a lot better than somebody dressed up like Santa Claus chucking a candy cane at you? Here, gold, silver, all the best in in, um, in clothing, and fabric, all the best materials. The king says, it's yours, because what's mine is yours. He's sharing with his subjects. And Paul says, this is what Christ has done. He's defeated the enemies of, of Satan and, and, and hell, or the enemies of the church, that is Satan and hell and sin. He did that at the cross, and now he's got this parade up into heaven. And as he goes, he gives out gifts. Look at verse 11. Here are the gifts. He gave, gift language right there, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And so this is what the ascended Christ has done. He has not left the church orphaned. He's, a, he's, he's left them with ministry leaders. Um, you notice these are all word-related teaching offices that are listed here. And so, in other words, we could say the thing that God has left his church or Christ has left his church is his own voice. His own voice mediated through those who teach the word. Now, some of these offices are no longer functioning, apostles and prophets. But some are perpetual shepherds, evangelists. And so what are these leaders for, though? Then we're told in verse um, verse 12, they're given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. There's another perpetual office, the office of saint. And so, you know, we're told here that these saints who have been given a variety of gifts, verse 6 says each one has received a gift, a, a grace gift. They are then equipped for how to use that gift through the ministry of the word, through pre- preaching, through teaching. God's own voice instructing the church how they should use their gifts and here we see this is how the church works. Here's the shape of church health and church growth. This is the shape. Christ, after descending, going into the tomb, is raised and he goes up to heaven. As he goes up, he sends down his spirit upon the church. And that spirit gives everyone particular gifts. He gifts pastors and teachers to understand the word, to teach the word, and then that word goes out into the church, equipping the saints so that they can turn around and bless 
the church. So Christ goes up, the spirit comes down, the word goes out, and then there's this pattern of as, they, as saints are equipped with the word, they turn around and they minister. They do ministry for their fellow church members. Do you know what that means? That means each and every one of you here today are, are integral to the health of the church. Maybe you needed to know that today. Did you know you matter? That you are of supreme importance in God's church growth plan? Yes, even you. You're thinking, I don't have anything to offer. No, you, you, you do. We've all been given a gift. And, and, and what we're told here is, is that the church doesn't just run on pastors and, and missionaries and evangelists, not just elders and deacons. Everybody, everybody has been given a gift that they're to bring into the church and, and bless others with. That means ministry is the obligation. It's the responsibility, and it's a supreme blessing, as we'll see in a moment, for anyone who bears the name Christian. Nobody is exempt. And then the question I have for you is, does your life reflect that reality? Do you serve the church? Do you serve your fellow members here? Do you use your particular gifting to build up the body of Christ? What God is teaching us, it's a sober reminder, um, is that if we're not, we're actually not fulfilling our responsibility as Christians, as saints. And so uh, to, to, to be involved in the church means much more than just coming to church, right? Hebrews says, don't neglect to meet together. But that's just the start. It's not just about meeting together. It's about doing ministry together. We need to do ministry together. And so you can't fulfill God's program for healthy church growth and even healthy spiritual growth on an individual level. We'll talk about that in a minute. If you aren't plugged into the church. So are you using your gifts? Do you serve somewhere in the church? Of course, ministry will look different for everyone, and it will look different for certain people at different stages in their life. We, we understand that. The question, though, is, is this your heart? Are you, are you here? Are you committed to the church? Are you all in? Is your passion here in this place for these people? Do you want to be a part of the church, or are you just kind of, are you just kind of here? <laughs> you just kind of you show up, and then you leave, but you're not really involved. If, if, if that's the case, the question is, is why? If your life isn't one where, where non-superficial involvement in the church is a reality, why not? Why not? Why, why not do ministry? Well, I'll tell you. And the answer isn't because you're a sinner, even though, yeah, of course, that's an answer. Uh, but I wanted to give you, very sympathetically, five reasons that, just thinking, and I talked to a few other pastors, what are the five reasons, five biggest barriers for doing ministry. Why is it so hard for us at times? So, so I'm, uh, this, is, this is me um, exploring this with you. I'm sharing my heart with you as well of why ministry in the church can be so difficult and hard to commit to at times. Common barriers we all face. First, it takes time, and time is a limited resource, and the most valuable one we're given and so we have many callings in life, different callings in life, important callings in life, and sometimes it feels like we just don't have time to give to the church, okay? Second, second barrier. People are hard. People are hard. Let's just face it. Some people, even in this church, 
are difficult. Difficult to deal with. And as I say that, you are conjuring up someone in your mind, and somebody has conjured up you in their mind. (laughs) People are difficult. Reaching out and doing ministry, which will necessitate not just getting to be with our friends, but but all sorts of people can be daunting and, and sometimes less than appealing. So people are hard. Third, ministry can be thankless. That's a barrier, right? If you've done any sort of ministry, you know the feeling of throwing yourself out there and getting burned, right? No thank you, no acknowledgement, almost always no pay or compensation. That can make you feel unwanted, and it can make you feel like, I don't want to do this again. I get it. Fourth, another barrier. We are introverted. Now, maybe that, that doesn't apply to you personally, but if you just kind of think about As a general rule for our day and age, we have become more insulated, insular than any generation ever before. We have shrunk our worlds to the space between our nose and our smartphones, our screens. These are the worlds we inhabit. Add to that shutdowns, continuing concerns with COVID, and people are simply not as open to being out and about as they once were. And yet that's what ministry requires, getting outside of yourself. And sociability is a muscle that I think has atrophied in our generation. I get it. Fifth, why is ministry difficult? Well, how about this? I don't feel qualified. You know, I see, Pastor, I see the needs. You know, you've been shoving this under my nose for a few weeks. I see it. I I recognize they're important, but I don't think I'm gifted in any of these areas. I want to help, but I don't think I can help. Now, sometimes we take that so far, and we say it's not just the ministries that are out there. I don't think there's any ministry I could possibly help with. That's a doubt that the devil himself develops in our minds, by the way. I mean, the Bible tells us, Ephesians 4, 6, everyone has received a gift from Christ, a grace, a spiritual gift And yet, sometimes uh, we buy into this lie that we're just not right for anything. And if we buy into that lie, of course we won't step out and and offer to do anything. We're afraid of underperforming. We're afraid of letting somebody down. We're afraid of failure. And so, for these reasons at least, and I'm sure there are many others, ministry is difficult. We don't need to sugarcoat it. It just is. It's hard. And so... Is there anything that can surmount these very real hurdles? Yes, there is, and it's in our text today. Um, This is, as I mentioned, it's not just the church's inspired manual, but it's also inspired motivation. What I mean by that that, that is is when you read Ephesians 4, you not only find how to, but you get want to also. This makes you want to be a part of the church when you really understand what Paul is saying here. If we learn what he's saying about the church, being involved in the church, we'll actually want to be a part of it and be involved. We'll have a desire for ministry. Or we could put it this way. Listen carefully here. When you belong to the church, to a church that functions the way it's supposed to function, your deepest needs and your deepest longings will be met in a way that cannot be met anywhere else. I'll say that one more time, that when you're involved with a church that functions the way it's supposed to, 
the deepest needs of your soul will be met in a way that can't be met anywhere else. And so, we want to draw out, we had five reasons why ministry is hard. I, I found five reasons why we should want to do ministry, why we need to do ministry from this text. And, and I want to say before I dive into these, some of, the, some, some of you here, you're already all in. You love ministry. But I still want you to pay careful attention because it could be that you like ministry for the wrong reasons. Or you're after it for the wrong aims, uh, for the wrong goals. Um, Paul gives us, though, inspired rationale for what we should want, indeed what, what we should recognize that we need uh, to do in terms of ministry. So, briefly here, well, okay, I'm not going to promise briefly, but we're, we're, this is the last point, okay, everyone, hang in there. Five, five reasons given in Ephesians 4 for why you actually want to do ministry from the deepest part of your person, in your soul, what, what it can offer you. First, you want to do ministry. You really do because you want unity. You want unity. So look at our text, verse 13. I'll start in 12. That we're equipped, saints are equipped for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So what's ministry for? It's for attaining unity. And you want unity. There's something really fascinating here. You know, our world wants unity. Our world is obsessed with this idea of acquiring unity through diversity. Diversity is a big buzzword, right? And so the world wants to celebrate everyone's differences, and at the same time, they want everyone to get along with each other. That's been proving a difficult feat to manage. And so... They censor people who don't seem to get behind that messaging properly. Uh, this happened once even to our own congregation uh, when we were uh, disinvited from partnering with another local congregation because they deemed we were not inclusive enough. That, that's the way the world works. We see it all the time that unity is sacrificed on the altar of diversity. Uh, people are so desperate uh, to, to feel like they belong, that if someone makes them feel like they don't, they say, well, get out of my life. So now what's happened? Well, I feel affirmed, but I'm also terribly alone. Is there a place where you can be diverse and unified at the same time? Is there? Is there a place uh, where the world could find this thing that has been eluding them? Yes, and it's called the church. Paul has said, again, verse 6, that we all have different gifts, a diversity of gifts. But now in verse 13, he says something remarkable about the variety of gifts. It doesn't, the, these different gifts don't function to separate us. Actually, they draw us in together and they make us united. It's like putting together the pieces of a puzzle. They all look different, but once you bring them together, there's harmony, there's, there's beauty, there's symmetry. It's like, I'll think of a, a, a symphony when you don't participate in ministry, the church is missing some music, right? We don't have the beautiful harmony of every member of the orchestra playing his or her part. If you're not involved in ministry, the church remains disjointed and disconnected, ripe for dissension. But only Christ is able to take something as seemingly different and dysfunctional as a group of sinners, such as we are, and bring us together. 
Uh, and this will be the witness to a world, uh, to a society that's so desperate for that kind of, um, you know, we are the world uh, unity, right? Let's all hold hands across America and say, sing kumbaya or, or something like that. That's what the world wants so badly. We can witness that we have something like that, something that's even better. You know, that's what Jesus said in his high priestly prayer. The glory that you've given me, Father, I've given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. The unity through diversity that you need won't happen when you're sitting at home by yourself. It happens when you're involved in the church. Why do you want to do ministry? Because you want unity. You also want to do ministry because you want to know Christ. What does Paul say there in verse 13? Ministry serves this function, that we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. The, the two come together, actually. When we are unified, when we get, when we get closer together, we get more of Jesus. Have you ever thought of it like this? The closer you get to your brothers and sisters, the closer you get to Jesus because he's living inside of them. Do you want to know more of Jesus? Yes, you do. Paul says that's the desire of every Christian, Philippians 3. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection. How can you know Christ better, more intimately? You know his people. Why do you want to do ministry? Because you want to know Jesus. Third, you want to do ministry, you want to be involved in the local church because you want to grow up. Paul says that we all do the work of ministry so that we grow up. He says it four different ways in three verses. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, verse 14, so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we grow up. We all want to grow up. Deep down, you know, I, I've been in your homes. I've seen the, uh, the, the door frames graffitied with pencil markings as you have kept track of your children. Over the years, growing, Jacob and Evie have a toy tape measure, and Jacob loves to bring it up to me uh, multiple times a day. Daddy, measure me. Oh, buddy, probably the same as last time you asked me. 41 inches. And, it, and, and there's something so natural for a son to ask his father, Daddy, someday will I be as tall as you? And there should be something natural for a Christian to say, Jesus Someday will I be as tall as you? And Paul says, yes, someday we will. Look at, look at what he says there. That we would all attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We'll become as tall as Jesus. We'll become as mature as Jesus. If every child wants that with his father, certainly Christians must want that of their Savior. We want to have what he has. And Paul says, you can have it. And it starts here in the church. When we come together, when we sit under the word, and when we let that word take root in our heart, and we go out and we serve one another, we mature, we grow up, we get taller, we get closer to looking like Jesus. If we stick to ourselves, though, we stay immature. We're still children. 
That means we have no security, no stability. We'll be tossed to and fro by all sorts of fads and false teaching. You know, this past month as we were at Myrtle Beach, I appreciated in a new way the dangers of, of the sea. You know, my mom said several times that it wasn't really a vacation for her. She was just out on the beach always counting grandkids, right? Okay, is there, we got seven? We got, okay, there, we have them all. And, and sure enough, a number of times we'd have to go get Jacob and Jude, uh, each three and four now, uh, because they, they got a little too close to the waves and, and pulled in. Because they're not, what? They're not old enough. They're not stable enough. They'll be tossed to and fro. Don't you want to be safe and secure and stable in your life? Then you need to grow up. Do you want to see some of those frustrating sins recede in your life? Then you need to grow up. You need to mature. The fact that you get inordinately angry with your spouse, uh, that you lose your temper with your coworkers, that you're always anxious and scared and worrying, uh, um, that you're judgmental or arrogant, it's because you're immature. And by God's design, Christian maturity is a communal effort till we all, he says, till we all attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You want to grow up. You want to mature. You want that security and stability. That means you want to be part of the church. You do. Maybe you didn't realize it. You want to be involved in the word ministry of the church. Fourth, you want to be involved in the church's ministry because you want the truth. A ministry that's based on the word of God and God never lies, that that means that it will be a ministry that does what verse 15 says. It speaks the truth. We live in a world that thrives on feelings, not facts. In fact, a world that says feelings are facts. We live in a world of preferred pronouns. Orwell, George Orwell's um, Ministry of Truth in 1984 is becoming uh, more and more prophetic. Remember the Ministry of Truth there expected the citizens of Oceania to adhere to slogans like War is peace, slavery is freedom, ignorance is strength. And the world can dress it up all it likes, but we know that much of what is touted about as truth is, in actuality, lies, and we are suppressed, we are oppressed if we buy into that. Jesus said that it's only the truth that will set you free. You want to be part of the church because you want to be free. You want the truth. The psalmist Cries out, Psalm 120, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips. You know, you know the urgency of that prayer. We know the destruction of deceit, and you can be delivered in this place. The real ministry of truth is the church. Well, finally, you want to be involved in Christ's church because you want to be loved. You want to be loved. In fact, you, you need to be loved. God made us with a capacity to both, to both give and, and to both receive love. And when we do not love, when we are not loved, we feel incomplete. You don't need to teach somebody 
that they need to be loved. When a child is scared, she runs to the arms of her mom because there's something of that love, that, that comfort and consolation that her mom can give her that meets a deep need within her soul. Even, we could say, her body. Back in the 1940s, studies in both the U.S. and the U.K. discovered that the high mortality rate in orphanages there sometimes nearly as high as 100%, had nothing to do with poor nutrition, starvation, or poor health, but in simply this, that the children were not touched. We need to be loved. We need it. You need it. And Paul says here that when the church comes together and does what it's supposed to do, there's this blessed result. You see it in verse 16, that the body grows so that it builds itself up in love. We receive the thing that we can't survive without. That's what you're doing, you know, when you make a meal for somebody who's just had a baby or just had a move. You are loving them. That's what you're doing when you... Don't just, you know, talk to everybody you know after church. But you, you see somebody new and you say, I want to get to know you. You make them feel welcome. You're loving them. That's what you do when you um, give money to support the ministries of the church. When you walk through God's word with somebody, you're meeting a greater need than the need you think you're meeting. You're giving them that love without which we, we will all decay. Calvin writes this, Let no man be anything for himself, but let us all be whatever we are for others. And this is accomplished only by love. And where love does not reign, there is no edification of the church, just a mere scattering. He's saying where there isn't love, there isn't a church. But when the church functions as it ought, not just with people up front, not just with elders and and deacons, but with every member ministry Uh, Where people coming under the word to serve using their gifts, love will reign in the church. Uh, You will feel hated by the world. You will feel despised by the world. Maybe you already have. The church, though, is the place that you come to and you're filled up with love. The love of Christ through the ministry of others. And that's also where others are filled up by Christ's love through your ministry to them. You're an integral part of in a healthy, functioning church. Your heart, friends, it craves this kind of love. You need to be loved. You need to know you're safe, that you're wanted, that you're welcome, that you're worthy. You will decay inside if you don't have that assurance. But that's what God gives you in the gospel. The gospel that says, no matter what you may have done, no matter what sin you might have committed, no matter what failures you have racked up in life, I know them all, God says, and yet I love you anyway. I love you with a love that never ends, that can never fail, that can never be broken. Brothers and sisters, that's what God gives us in the gospel, and it's what we experience in the life of the church. And so you see... You actually want to do ministry because you want these things. You need these things. You want to be unified. You you want to know Christ. You want the truth. You, You want love. You see, we really can't live 
apart from the church, can we? What a resource, what a blessing God has provided for us here to meet the deepest needs of our soul. When we come up and sit under the word, are built up by that word, uh, hone our gifts under that word, and then we turn around and we see our brothers and sisters and we say, how can I love you today? Let's pray. And Father, we do thank you for the church. Imperfect as it is, we know you have a perfect plan for her, and we're grateful to know that we're part of that plan. Grateful to know that, that you cause us to mature under the ministry of, of the word and of one another. You cause us to, to grow in love, to be built up and, and unified together. We have so many barriers, real struggles for for getting outside of ourselves and doing ministry, but, but let these blessings of ministry surmount those and, and overcome them so that we would be eager to be ready and to serve whenever there is need. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.